0: This is going to be a different message today. We have been in a series um, going through the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We are going to continue that series in part three, so this sermon will be kind of the story of Joseph and also kind of just addressing what we're going through as a culture today. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do as a church is find ways that we can serve our community. Um, so we're just we're looking to different people to say, hey, I heard of this need. We know that there is... I'm um, an elderly population in this in Farmington there's shut-ins that you know nursing home and other facilities have said well we're not allowing visitors in so we have a lot of people who are feeling very in addition to feeling very anxious feeling very isolated and lonely so we're going to try to figure out how to do this but our kids today are drawing pictures and writing notes to people we have some people who work for meals on wheels here in the congregation Um, we're going to just make sure we can pass on whatever we can, notes of encouragement, pictures from kids, different things, just to try to brighten the day of some of the people in our community who are feeling isolated. They are talking to your kids today in Kids Church about the coronavirus, about all that's happening. We recognize as parents, some of us have said more than others. Hopefully, they're not just getting their news from Facebook or friends on the playground. That might not be the most reliable. So I'm encouraging you as parents, just make sure you're talking to your kids in whatever way you want. They are going to be just addressing it from a uh, perspective of faith today, Um, and so they're going to be talking to your kids a little bit about that. But more than what we say to our kids, I want to encourage parents in this way. Um, Our kids learn a lot from what we tell them. Our kids learn a whole lot more from just watching us as parents. So how we handle this situation is going to be the framework through which our kids will view... Scary situations, how mom and dad walk through this. So if it's freak out moment at home, they're going to learn, okay, there's times that we need to, kids, we need to freak out because mom and dad are freaking out. Or maybe it's kids, we need to hold it together because mom and dad are coming apart at the seams these days. But how we act as people of faith during a situation like this is how our kids learn, oh, they learn about faith and they learn about God, how they learn about prayer by watching mom and dad. How do we respond when the world is responding in fear? They're going to learn a lot by watching you over the next weeks and months. So I encourage you to engage with your kids however you want as parents, but model the life of faith. Model the life of faith, and that's not, you know, we're going to talk about it today. It's not freaking out, and it's not being totally, you know, unwise and just ignoring the situation. You know, there's a happy middle ground, which I'm sure the people on social media will find eventually. Amen. God is powerful. He can do it. Um, so we are talking today about the story of Joseph, and we're talking today about a culture of fear. And actually, the story of Joseph, what we were going to talk about today, fits, fits pretty well. So it's going to kind of be a couple different things. It'll be a different morning this morning. Um, obviously, this virus scare has revealed much of our human nature. It's put a sense of fear in a lot of people. It's actually revealed a lot about our coping skills as a society. It's like God gave us a pop quiz on how to cope and we, friends, we are failing, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, hmm, maybe we don't have the strongest coping skills that we thought in the general public. As a church, here's what I would like to see. I'd like to see people of faith and peace. We've been talking about that. Christy was praying for that. And we've been addressing that over the last week and to this morning we are as well. I'd like us to find ways to help Find ways to help in our community. Um, I'd like us to continue to be generous. I would like us to have a strong dose of perspective through this. And what I mean by that is the realities that we are dealing with currently in this country are a drop in the bucket compared to the realities that billions of people deal with every day food shortages, worried about disease, worried about all sorts of things. I mean, this is a a small dose of the reality for which many, many, the majority of people on the earth deal with every day. I'm not saying that to say, hey, stop complaining. I'm just saying that we need to walk through this with faith and perspective. Now, hopefully through this, we will recognize when we hear about other countries who don't have a solid infrastructure, where they're dealing with unclean drinking water and fear of disease, hopefully that will ring true a little bit more. Hopefully that will ring true and say, okay, that, at least we have a perspective for how good we have it here that will allow some gratitude and praise and thanksgiving to come out of us because it is something that we need to walk through with some perspective. But also I don't want us to be calloused or insensitive to those who are fearful. We have a lot of people who probably stayed home today because they're like, I'm just not going to chance it. Why risk it? We don't need to be calloused and insensitive to those. We need to have, and if you have been at Target or Costco or Walmart or on the internet, you'll know this, we need to have an extra dose of grace and patience, <laughs> right? We had I've had people texting me stories like, I, I literally saw two people fight. It's like Black Friday now, ongoing, over toilet paper, you know? I, I've, I, there was one person who texted said, I saw people fighting, like literally fighting over toilet paper. And I thought, all right. That's a new That's a new thing. Um, we need to have extra grace and patience. There's going to be people wound up pretty tight. All of us are wound up a little extra. There's going to be some people who are wound up pretty tight. So, as a church, I want us to model extra grace, extra patience, recognizing we are people of faith. We have supernatural peace. We are able to walk through this. What I want to talk about today, as we kind of weave the story of Joseph into this message, into what we're dealing with as a culture, is this. Two things... God is doing in the storm. Two things God is doing in the storm. We have a slide that we're going to put up there. Look at the story of Joseph. Two things we're going to skip ahead. Sorry, that God, I had other slides in there. We're going to skip those first ones, Charlie. There we go. It reminds me, I had in there the scripture for Isaiah chapter 12. I'm going to take this as this little side note. Isaiah chapter 12. Remember a couple months ago where we said we're going to do a scripture memory challenge? We're still doing that. Oh, yeah. You know what, Charles? Let's go back. (laughs) Let's go back to that first one. Here it is. Okay, so this is Isaiah chapter 12. It's six verses. Apparently, we're all going to have some extra time at home with our kids. What are we going to do? There's nothing on ESPN. We can memorize six verses from Isaiah chapter 12. So here it is. We're going to read it together. Since you all looked at me deer in the headlights when I said scripture memory. All right, here we go. All together there's three slides, so we're going to follow when they when they cut through here. All together. Then, you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and song. Amen. And he has become my salvation. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation, and in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, make them remember that his name is exalted. Praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud and shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Okay? So we can do that. Corona 2020, we can memorize Isaiah 12, okay? We're just going to, we can do it. This probably wouldn't take us long. But I want us, I was thinking about that today and I hadn't, you know, forgotten about it, but I was like, okay, we probably need to re-engage. I want us always as a church to memorize scripture. We're always going to do it. Um, This is six verses. We can do it. All right? We've taken out Sports Center. For me, you take out Sports Center, and that frees up all sorts of time and brain space for memorizing Scripture. Okay. So, we got that covered. Now back to the message. Um, The slide, next one, Charlie. Two things God is doing in the storm. Two things God is doing in the storm. And the first is this He's teaching His people not to be afraid. So, when we walk through a storm, God is doing many things, but we're going to talk about two things for sure that God is doing in the middle of a storm. He's teaching his people not to be afraid. If you were with us on Thursday night for our our, uh, adult Bible study, you're going to hear a couple of the same things. It won't be all about that, so don't check out on me. There are times where we see very intentionally that Jesus is teaching his followers to not be afraid, whatever the circumstance. So I believe this situation we are in as a country globally is a time where we can allow the Lord to teach us how to go through a storm and not be afraid. This is something that we will read and we'll see that Jesus wants to teach his people. As we have kids growing up in our houses, we say, "Well, I want them to learn about this, and I want them to learn about this. We have schools teaching them about this and this and this." Jesus sees that as his followers, almost like his students in this time, and he says, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to teach them how to live without fear. So there's a couple of stories in the book of Matthew that illustrate this very well. It's two stories about boats. About disciples and Jesus in the boat. And the first one is Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Matthew 8, if you want to follow along, there should be a Bible in your pew, or you can look on your phone, or you can just read it on the screen. But Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 tells this first story. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So I was reading that, even just now, a thought popped into my head. Um, As we are praying for this storm that we are in, we're praying for medical professionals and the healthcare industry. And when we read that, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. I think we can look at that and say, God, breathe life into this storm we are in and help the situation. But I think what happens more often is the storm in us. He rebukes the wind and the waves in us, and it was completely calm in us, in our hearts, in our spirits. So... Um, I just felt like I should share that. Um, But here's the point, that Jesus seems to be trying to teach his disciples something here. Because if you look at that story, this is not a big, you know, ocean liner. This is not something with sleeping quarters where Jesus is comfortably asleep in the lower level, right? This is a small wooden vessel with the wind and the waves sweeping over it. Disciples probably yelling, making a lot of noise. For Jesus to be asleep, I believe he had to either be faking it or really wanted to be asleep because he wanted to prove the disciples something. He wanted to teach the disciples something. This is I. So I get from that that Jesus is t- setting this whole thing up to say, "Okay, I'm going to teach my followers something here. Watch this. We're going to pretend we're asleep, and then the storm's going to come up. It's going to be super funny." Sorry, I was going to go sidetrack there for a second. I'm no. My, my filter is still working. Um, and so I believe that Jesus is using that instance to teach his disciples something. I want to see how they react in a fearful circumstance. He gave them a pop quiz on fear and coping skills, and they didn't do well. They were freaking out. And he got up, and he rebuked the storm. Jesus is teaching them a lesson that needs to be learned in the difficult circumstance, that he is with them. He is with them, and they need not be afraid. And apparently, this is something Jesus wants for his followers to learn. That's us as his people. He wants all of us to learn how to go through a storm and not fear. So we know in this situation now, coronavirus 2020, we are capable with the power of Jesus. Jesus wants us to learn how to walk through this season and not be afraid. That's something that he is able to teach us. That's something that he wants his followers to learn. We can learn how to do this. No matter the wind and the waves, Jesus is with us. We've seen him move mountains. We've seen him calm the storm. We've seen him heal the sick so we can go through this and not be afraid. My hope is built on him. It's not built in the boat. It's not built in the calmness of the water. It's not built in the absence of disease and virus. My hope is built on him. Right? That is the firm foundation. So that's the first story of the boat that Jesus is teaching his disciples that we can go through a storm and not be afraid. The second story is just a few chapters later, Matthew chapter 14. This follows... The story right after the feeding of the 5,000. So great miracle, great faith-building moment for the disciples. There's 5,000 people. I mean, biblical scholars, most people would say that's 5,000 men because that's who they would count. This would have been thousands more than that. So 5,000 men, and then the women and children added on that. And there is no food, and Jesus has that moment. Five loaves, two fish. He, he feeds the multitudes. So this had to be a moment where the disciples are, Wow, their faith is high because circumstances are great. Look at what Jesus did. So that's right after that is where we get to the next boat story in Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, again, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to have faith, not fear, in every circumstance. There's actually a verse in Mark, the same version of this boat story, that says in Mark chapter 6, that the, he knew that the disciples hadn't gained any insight from the loaves, from the incident with the loaves. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, these disciples have seen me feed 5,000, but they still haven't learned that it's not about circumstance. It's almost like Jesus said, so we're going to send them another boat test. We're going to send them into the boat again and see what they have learned. So, we pick up the story, Matthew chapter 14, the second boat story in verse 22. Why do I have... Twenty-six. Yes, twenty-two. Sorry, I might have the wrong one up here, Charlie. But we'll go. We'll hope for the best. <laughs> um, Matthew fourteen, verse twenty-two. Immediately. So this is right after the feeding of the five thousand. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd, the 5,000 people. I imagine the disciples are probably thinking, "Uh uh-uh, I remember what happened the last time we got in a boat, I ain't doing that again. You ever taken your dog to the vet for the first time and the dog's like, hey, this looks like fun. Second time around, they're like, "Uh uh-uh, I know what happens in there, I'm not going in there, right? This is probably what the disciples are like full on, I don't want to get in that boat again, I know what's happening. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Okay, that was, again, another wind storm coming on the boat. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And I think this is where we have the verse starting in 26. Do we got that verse? Next one. Next slide, Charlie. Yes. Jesus walks out on the lake towards the boat. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? So another moment of testing, another moment. Again, we see it, Jesus using these fearful circumstances as a way for his followers to learn that fear is the opposite of faith. So as we go through the next few months and weeks with this virus, with this unsettling, fearful situation in our world, we must remember this. It's one of the things that God does in the middle of a storm. He teaches us there's a way to go through the storm without fear. This is what Jesus wants for us. This is what God is up to in a season like what we're in. He's teaching us to not be afraid. Now, it doesn't mean we act foolishly. It doesn't mean we ignore the guidance from health officials or government officials. We're not walking around you know, high-fiving and licking the door handles and all those things, right? We're not like in your face. You know, the disciples didn't, they, they weren't like, God, Jesus is with me. We can poke holes in the boat and we're still going to be okay. It wasn't anything like that, right? But, so we're going to be wise. God gave us a brain. We're going to move forward with wisdom. But we're going to do so without fear. Because this is what God wants us to learn. And what we learn from these stories is not only can we go through a storm without fear, but when we truly trust him in the middle of this, We can get out of the boat and walk on the water like Peter did. Like, that's amazing. We can see God do supernatural things as we walk through a season like this without fear. Amen? We can see him do that. Which brings me to the second thing that God is doing in the middle of a storm, and it is this. He is doing his best work. He's doing his best work in the middle of a storm. He is doing his best work in circumstances that seem hopeless and fearful. That's when God... Shines. That's when God is at his best. This is where we get to the story of Joseph. So flip back in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, Genesis. This is the series that we have been in talking about the story of Joseph. If you need to get caught up on the story of Joseph, he was one of 12 brothers, sons of Jacob. He was Jacob's favorite. Jacob, his father, gave him his coat of many colors. His brothers resented him. God gave Joseph a dream that one day all your brothers are going to bow down before you. And Joseph told his brothers that. Another reason his brothers didn't like him. So eventually they wanted to kill him. Instead, they threw him into a pit and then sold him into slavery into Egypt. And Joseph got sold to slavery. He's in Egypt. And he got sold to Potiphar, who was the head of the guard or head of the military for Pharaoh in Egypt. Very important person. Okay, that's where our story picks up. Joseph was there as a slave, but it said that God was with him. God was with him in the difficult circumstance. And so he began to rise in prominence. Potiphar trusted Joseph with everything. He became a leader. God caused him to flourish in the middle of that. This is God doing his best work in the middle of a storm. So Genesis 39 is where we're picking up the story. Joseph is now in Potiphar's house. He's now in charge of everything. Potiphar trusts him completely. So you think this story is going to go great now. Oh, Joseph made it through the hard time. Now things are smooth sailing. But then Potiphar's wife gets involved. Potiphar's wife gets the hots for young Joseph. Okay? Yes. Scandalous stuff. In verse 7 of Genesis chapter 39, it says this. And after a while, his master's wife, talking about Potiphar's wife, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called the household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. So we're going to stop there. Okay? Potiphar's wife messing everything up, right? Joseph, in the middle of this temptation, Potiphar's wife's grabbed him by the cloak and he's like, I don't even care about that. I'm getting out of here. Runs away, leaving his cloak with Potiphar's wife. So he is scantily clad at the moment. Then Potiphar's wife, out of embarrassment or whatever, says, calls the servants and says, look at what Joseph tried to do. He tried to attack me. He tried to, you know, take advantage of me and then when I screamed, he ran away. So, couple quick points before we continue with the story. Because this is what the sermon was originally going to be about today. Facing temptation. okay? When we all face temptation, we learn a lot from this moment of Joseph. We learn a lot from this story of Joseph when we are facing temptation. We all know what it is like to be tempted and compromise in our faith. This is normal. So let's look at what Joseph did. From the youngest to the oldest, this is what we can learn from Joseph when facing temptation. First of all, he acknowledged it was a sin against God. Did you see that? He said, how could I do this wicked thing and sin against God? He didn't say, how could I do this and betray Potiphar? How could I do this and mistreat you? How could I do this mistake? He recognized, how could I do this and sin against God? We need to recognize that when we face temptation, it's not a mistake. It's not a bad habit. When we face temptation to compromise on God's standards, it is a sin against God. It's a sin against God. It's not just a bad habit or something that may hurt someone's feelings or harm ourselves. It is against God who loves us, who forgives, and has given so much. So recognize the severity of sin when you are facing temptation. But also, what did Joseph do when he faced temptation? What did he do? He ran. He ran. Even without his clothes, he ran away. He said, I am getting out of here. He didn't toy with temptation in his life. He didn't allow it to stick around. He didn't say, okay, Mrs. Potiphar, you know, I'll lie down with you, but just snuggling today, you know, or just just a back rub maybe, you know, something like that. He didn't allow that. He didn't say, I'm going to try to get right to the line before sin and then uh, stop right before it's sin. He didn't say, let's see how close to the sin line I can get. He ran out of the room. He ran out of the room. When tempted, all of us, we're tempted in it's it's a different way for all of us that the enemy knows how to tempt us. But God promises us in 1 Corinthians 10 13 that we will have a moment where we recognize that there is temptation. We will have a moment where we recognize we can still get out of this situation. In those moments, we need to run. Whatever that looks like in your situation when facing temptation, we need to run. Don't worry about looking silly in that moment. If it's a situation where it's a a chemical addiction and you're facing temptation to relapse, if it's something you're viewing explicit material online or movies, if it's a a temptation with another person who is not your spouse, whatever it is, there's going to be that moment before you're kind of past the point, and you just say, in that moment, I got to remember what Joseph did, and get out of there. Turn the computer off. Get away from that person. Get out of the room. Don't allow sin, to to the temptation to just linger around. Don't toy around with it because it is going to get you. Get out of there. Leave the room. Even flee the situation, even if you look ridiculous. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. We have to take those moments to say, I'm not even messing with this. And in those moments of clarity, that's when we put up the safeguards on the internet that's where we allow someone in to give us accountability. That's when we get rid of the thing, the chemical, the whatever it is. In those moments of clarity, that's when we have the safeguards we put up. That's when we say, I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to keep fleeing temptation. Make make a moment of clarity uh, bear fruit where you put up some safeguards for the next time that you are tempted. Don't compromise or justify, and man, we do that well. We can justify sin in our life. Well, And it was just a mistake or it wasn't so bad. It wasn't the flee temptation. This is what Joseph did. Okay, amen? All right. Back to the story of Joseph. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. This is what happened after Potiphar's wife accused him. Verse 16 of Genesis 39. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, to take advantage of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Obviously not looking very good for Joseph right there. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, again these words, The Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You're sensing a theme here, right? Joseph gets thrown in a pit. God was with him. Joseph gets sold into slavery, but God is with him and caused him to prosper in Potiphar's house. Joseph gets falsely accused and thrown into prison, but God was with him and caused him to prosper and caused him to be flourishing in all things. This is the story, the up and down story of Joseph. But in every storm, in every bad circumstance, God was with him. God was working. God showed him kindness. From, the, from being Jacob's favorite to the pit, to slavery, to prominence and influence in Potiphar's house, to prison, and we're going to see it all happen again in the next couple of weeks, God was with him. God was doing a work in the storm. And this is our point today. This is the second thing that God is doing is that in the middle of the storm, God is causing people to prosper. God is showing kindness. God is pouring out blessing. Joseph had every right to complain, to be afraid, to defend, to be angry, to fight others, to accuse others, to blame, but rather he moves forward knowing God is with him And that in all things, God is working for the good. This is God's best work. In all things, in the storm, God is working for the good. And that is enough for us to walk through the season like this in faith without fear. God is at work in the storm. God does his best work in a storm. There's lots of talk about the stock market recently. I'm certainly not a stock market expert, but I know this. I think I got this right. There's There's a bull market and a bear market, okay? And if you know the stock market, you know the bull market I think is when everything's going great and everything's rising and everybody's making money. And it's easy to make money in those. But the really, really smart people know how to make money in the bear market. When everything's kind of dwindling, they still know how to make money. The experts know how to do that. In the middle of really bad circumstances, they do their best work. So and every time you hear stock market over the next six months, I want you to think about this. God is doing his best work in the bear market, in the market where everything seems fearful. That's when God does his best work. That's when his people advance. That's when his light shines the brightest. That's when flourishing can take place. That is what we are poised to enter, and we have entered as a season in this country as people of faith. God can do his best work through you over the next weeks and months. Okay, This is what God does. He can do his best work So in a season that we're in, Coronapalooza 22, 2020, 2020, faith and generosity and service and peace and love and kindness, these are going to shine brighter. They're going to shine brighter than before because they are going to stand out in a fear-driven culture. And this is when God is doing his best work. God is teaching us how to live without fear Financial fear, health fear, relational fear, lack of toilet paper fear, we fear the future, we can be rid of all of that because this is the work that he does in the storm. So as the ripple effects of this virus continue, there's going to be economic impact and I recognize that. I've had conversations with people who work in the tourism industry, airline industry, food service industry, you know, everything other than paper towel industry. Um, right? I mean, there's going to be ripple effects. It's going to affect churches. It's going to affect families. It's going to affect companies. We recognize that. We want to help others. People's jobs are affected. People will struggle financially. This will affect churches. People will be sick and in need of help. People will be alone and isolated. People will be afraid during all of it. People are going to have loved ones lost because of this. And as people of faith, we are going to act like people of faith, filled with faith and peace, knowing that Jesus is with us in the boat while the wind and the waves are crashing all around. Jesus is there. We don't need to fear. Amen? We don't need to fear. He is with us. Good can come of this. The light will shine. And that's enough for us. If it's tough, it's enough for us that Jesus is with us, right? He's with us in the storm. So, that's how the story of Joseph applies to what we're dealing with today, is that God does his best work. God does his best work in the storm. When things are low, God is teaching us how to go through it and not be afraid. So as a church, I want us to just be mindful of practical ways that we can help. Um, We have some apartment buildings that are primarily seniors, apartment buildings. We recognize that the reality for them is different than for a lot of us younger people. Um, So we're we're going to try to find ways to help, to help. And I don't know how we're going to do that. Um, even if it's just simple things like kids drawing pictures and sending them over there to hopefully brighten someone's day. But we're going to find ways to help. If it's providing childcare for people who have to go to work and they got their kids home, um, I want us to just be mindful of that, collectively as a church, but also you in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Just be the, be the bringer of peace, because you have the Prince of Peace living in you. Bring the, be the bringer of peace. We can be examples of this, and that is going to stand out. There's going to be how the church responds during this next few months will be remembered long after the coronavirus will pass. And it is a chance for God to do his best work. And he wants to use us. We can watch him do his best work. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us in the storm. And I pray for everybody hearing these words right now that are those who are in fear, that you would just fill them with a peace knowing that you are with them. Circumstances might be difficult, but you are with us you are working for our good, and that's enough for us. You love us. You died for us. We are forgiven. We are, we are new creations in Christ. Our foundation is you, and that is enough for us, no matter what we have to walk through, good or bad. We thank you that you, you do that work. You do your best work in the middle of a storm. So, Lord, do that in us. Help us be mindful of how we can help, live at peace. Help us to walk in wisdom and faith and love and kindness to all of those around us. We want people to be drawn to you. We want you to shine through this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.